0: Well, again, welcome everybody here today. Um, I am definitely not the usual preacher today. Walter is out on vacation this week, up at the Olympic Trials, up in Oregon, and so I'll be speaking to you today. I'm my name's Craig Hayes. If you don't know me, I'm one of the shepherds here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. And to summarize it, as you can see from the message above, I am not Walter. Um, So my first question comes after that statement of I am not Walter is, how many of you filled in the blank stating that you were not Walter? (laughs) Okay. We're people that follow familiar patterns and familiar habits. Traditionally, going back to when I was a young man many, many, many years ago, kind of one of our patterns was to go out and actively take our Bibles with us and teach people from the Bible, teach this word, teach the word to the people we met. Or we might invite them to church to be taught if we didn't feel capable ourselves of teaching them. We had lots of door knocking campaigns. I probably did my first door knocking campaign where I was actually setting up and Conducting Bible studies, I couldn't have been more than 14. And that was kind of the norm. The key thing was we sought to be people of the word. We actively sought there. I want to read a passage I want you to keep in mind throughout this, day, this sermon today in 1 Peter three fifteen. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you, To give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So that was kind of our point. As people of the word, we strove to always to be ready to make a defense for our faith. To be able to argue from scriptures the truth that God has taught us through these inspired scriptures. For whatever reason over the years, those ways have become less effective. Door-knocking campaigns, either through our lack of effort or our lack of training or people's willingness in today's society, have proved to be less effective. Being quite honestly, if you look at the number of people that are converted as adults to Christianity, it's becoming less and less. So I want to talk a little bit about possibilities about why that is, and possibilities about what we can do about it. There's a couple of different worldviews. The worldview that Jesus and the apostles lived in was an Eastern worldview. The Easterns, and this, this is going to be real generic, and it's not true for everybody in every group, but Easterns generally were influenced by Tradition and by family. If you notice time and time again when you read in Acts how once the head of the household was converted, the entire household was converted. Because as the head of the household went, so went everyone. And there's still families very much like that today, but that was the standard way that the Eastern worldview worked. The era that I grew up in, it's what is called modern. So we're going to talk about modern versus postmodern worldviews. Moderns, we grew up in the era of scientific proofs. If you could give me the facts of something, that's how you became convinced that something was true and right. You can tell. Some things by the way political campaigns are run. How many political campaigns focus on specifics about why problems are and how they will be solved nowadays? They don't. They become just generic platitudes, generic solutions, generic whatever's, right? People don't no longer try to prove out those arguments. Why is that? If logic should rule us, why is it that it doesn't do that way? It's because there's become a change in the common way of looking at things. I'm gonna go over a couple of statistics with you. Let me give you some statistics from the Institute for the excuse me, Let me give you some statistics from the Institute for the Study of Societal Issues at the University of California, Berkeley. In nineteen seventy two, five percent of American adults claimed no religious affiliation. We're not talking about any form of Christianity. We're talking about not Jewish, not Hindu, not Buddhist, not Muslim. We're talking about 5% claimed no religious affiliation in 1972. By 1990, it had increased to 8%. As of 2012, it was 20%. Among adults 18 to 24... Four years ago, it was 34%. What we're seeing is a dramatic shift in the way people function. Used to, people would either through tradition or through logic would select a a philosophy, a doctrine. They would search to find a doctrine that fit the facts as they understood them, and that's how they would go. But something different has occurred. We have now what is called postmodernism, just talking about people that were born after a certain period of time. And again, using that generic broad stroke, less of them are based off of scientific logical proofs and much more off of feeling. And the key phrase here that has become is truth is relative. My truth and your truth may be different, and that's just fine. That's the mindset. There is not one absolute truth in many people's minds today, many adults, and especially younger adults. Now, we know from the Bible that just what we feel does not give true truth. Proverbs 14.12 and actually repeated in 16.25 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So truth, as far as God is concerned, is not relative. But that does not change that that is the way much of society, especially younger adult society, views it. Now let me be sure I say this. This doesn't mean that they're less intelligent or that they use no logic. But it's a different set of things that cause them to reach a point of decision than what we're used to. It's not an intellectual proof argument. And it's not entirely wrong because in reality, God made us both to be logical and feeling. Those are both two parts of what God created in each and every one of us. And it's not a mistake that he created us with both of those elements. So the question is, how do we help people to understand the truth that Jesus is the only way to salvation and that the Bible is the inspired word of God if they don't believe in absolute truth? Do we just give up, throw up our hands and say, they're stupid, throw it aside, is there a problem? What can we do about it? How do we handle it if they are convinced that truth is not the same for everyone, that truth is an individual thing? What can we do if in reality it's difficult to start by teaching from the Bible if people do not accept this as the inspired word of God? Interesting enough, Jesus actually faced the same issue. John chapter 18, he's meeting with Pilate. Starting in verse 28. They led Jesus, therefore, from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Pilate therefore went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So Pilate's getting the arguments, right? Pilate therefore said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Pilate, therefore, entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as this is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Our generation is not the first that ever faced this question. Pilate was face to face with the Son of God. And all he could come away with is, what is truth? Just because that's your truth, how does that mean that's my truth? That was the result of what Pilate came away from that discussion with the Son of God with. If providing evidence to convince the intellect is having less and less effect, we must learn to provide evidence that is effective in turning the heart. And I believe that there is a biblical example, a biblical model to follow. For reaching people that way. The Barna group, who's, if you don't know, they're a group that does tons and tons of studies on religious beliefs, uh, do a lot of statistical work. And they made this statement on one of their web on their website. A biblical worldview in adults is presently declining. But listen to this. Even as spirituality remains hot. So even as people are declining in accepting absolute truth from the Bible, it doesn't mean that an interest in spirituality has declined. In fact, some have argued that some of them, (laughs) interestingly enough, that some people that used to have a biblical worldview somehow managed to avoid spirituality. And now we've got people who are avoiding the Bible but seeking spirituality. But again, off of that very personal, individual type of search. Interestingly enough, what you'll generally find is postmoderns, which are generally younger adults, still view Jesus positively, even if they don't accept the Bible and they don't trust the church or Christians. Somehow, Jesus has been pulled and part as a separate idea, a separate thought than the church, the Bible, and those who follow Christ. So when I look at that, I start to wonder if there's a reason that that could conceivably occur. Because I think the answer is, we were always wanting to be people of the word, a very, very healthy, inspirational true choice to be people of the word, to know the scripture, to be able to teach from the word trust me, there is no foundation as Christians without a solid understanding of this scripture don't get me wrong on this but I think it is time if we're to reach the new generations to look at a different way of becoming people of the word. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And dropping to verse fourteen, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only-gotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We may not be able to use this as a starting point. So, how do we get them to look at these scriptures and accept this as truth? And I'm convinced is that we need to become like the word. We need to become like Jesus. Matthew chapter 9. Beginning in verse 9. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And then it happened that as he was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees they saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Where was Jesus? Where did Jesus spend time? Where was Jesus criticized for spending time? with the sinners in the world. He had relationships with these people. He didn't just try to teach them. He was their friends. In fact, Matthew eleven nineteen that's even the accusation against him. The son of man, talking about Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners... What is it like if we are criticized for being friends of sinners? So do we have the courage to be what Jesus was? To do what Jesus did? Okay. So what do we do? Part one, get involved in people's lives. And there's two parts even to this one, of this part one. There's two parts of getting involved in people's lives that are significant. Because a lot of times we've done one of these parts, but not done the second part. So I want you to listen closely about what I'm asking for here. First, whether it's individually or collectively, we need to go where people are and minister to them if it's the way we do outreach with our church, if it's the way we do ministry individually as Christians, we need to actively go to those who are not part of this fellowship, who are not part of our assembly, who are not part of this congregation, and reach out to them. But the part that sometimes it gets missed is we also need to bring people into our community after we've done that. It's not just about having friends who are not Christians. It's about introducing our non-Christian friends to other Christians. Whether it's in this building, whether it's through small groups, whether it's at having dinner at your house. It doesn't matter. But they need to build other relationships, other than just you, with Christians. There's a couple of reasons why. I think when we go out into the community, people need to see us serving the community. They need to see that we live a life that's different from others. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verses, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession. And listen to this last phrase the way mine reads zealous for good deeds. We need to become zealous for good deeds out in the world where people can see us being zealous for good deeds. And then I mentioned the part about bringing them in to meet other Christians. You remember what Jesus said in John 13? How he told his disciples that people would know that we were Christians? A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we're to love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus said it. How are they going to know that we're Christians? How will we understand that we are truly children of God? By the way they see us interact with each other. That will be the proof. You can't do that unless you've brought them into a setting where they can watch how we care for each other. And like I said, it doesn't need to be in this building. There's lots of places you can do it. But it does need a place where they understand how we care for each other. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41 this is obviously the day of Pentecost, first major sermon from Peter. And then right after that. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed to get believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Why were they having favor with all the people? These are people that were zealous for good works. These were people who showed an abundant love for each other. And the, all the people were in a position where they could see this occurring in their communities. 1 Peter 2.9 nine. That you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We need to be willing to proclaim his excellencies. I started off earlier with 1 Peter 3.15. And I emphasized at that time being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you. But it says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. What does it mean to give an account for the hope that is in you? Does that sound like an intellectual argument to you? The starting point for reaching people today, I'm convinced, is often not going to be that. But the starting point is often going to be to give the reason why I love Jesus. What has Jesus done for me? If they don't believe in an absolute truth, they do understand the heart. But they only understand a heart that has acted in real and genuine ways. And as always, we need to continue, as Ephesians 4.15 says, be willing to speak the truth in love when asked. Truth is not always easy, but we can't leave it behind. And all this we need to do both individually and as a community. Part two. Again, the part I think people do understand today. Live it like we mean it. Obviously, one of the biggest complaints you hear about Christians is we're all just a bunch of hypocrites, right? Now, granted, we had a discussion in the men's class a couple of months back about what does it mean really to be a hypocrite? What do they mean versus what we mean? If it means that I fall short of the glory of God, they are absolutely right. I make mistakes and I sin pretty much every day if they're talking about, I pretend I'm something that I'm not, then we have a discussion point. And part of it is if we claim to be Christians, we talk about taking up our cross every day, dying for our faith. How many of us live daily for our faith. In Revelation 3:15 and 16, God speaks through John, and He's telling the Laodiceans that because they are lukewarm, He will spit them out of His mouth. If that if, if that is God's reaction to our mediocre Christianity, why should those in the world feel any differently? And I'm afraid when we see the rejection of the church and of Christians, that is exactly what has occurred. They have viewed us as lukewarm. They have spit us out. And they've looked for spirituality somewhere else. So if we're not all in, why should others have any different reactions? We should be all in as Christians on one element, and we need to be all in in people's lives. And don't get me wrong, what I'm not talking about today is not some evangelistic tool or methodology. We need to be genuinely and authentically like Jesus Christ. We need to make a change and be all in. In Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This isn't some instant cure or quick fix. But what I'd argue, this does allow for us to be genuine and authentic. To truly be somebody's friend because you want what's best for them. And that's a very good place to start. So today I'd like to challenge each and every one of us, however that is, through its people at school, people at work, becoming part of community, organizations, whether it's reaching out at homeless shelters, whatever it is, but we need to become zealous for good works, we need to become intimately involved in people's lives, and we need to introduce our friends to other Christians so they can see the love that we have for each other. This is a way that I think will truly be give us a position where we can let people see the word in us before we show them this word. And I ask you today that you take the time to think about what that means, to evaluate your life, to see if what you have been, who you want to be, truly reflects the example of Christ, who lived with the tax collectors and sinners, who were like the first century church, who everyone admired, and understand why there's a disconnect today. And what can we do about it? Because it's a great and glorious gift God has given us, and I don't want us to ever forget it. Let's live our lives that way as we stand and sing. Sing, Lord, like a